0: Hello and welcome to What We've Learned. It's me, Steve Kemish, and it's her, Shane Redding. Hello, Shane. Hello. How are you? I'm fine. Good. And we've got another guest loaded in to the guest tank. What have we got today, Shane? Who are we talking to?
1: Who are we talking to? We're talking to Tony Lamb today. Um, Tony Lamb is someone else, um, like some of the other people that you've been hearing on our episodes, who has crossed the world Um, And has crossed the divide between big enterprise to startup innovation and um, setting up his own company. So he's done both sides of it.
0: Yeah. And as we're about to hear, not just that he's also been helping out his, his, his other passion as well which is you're going to see is how you manage to transform training in a world of, of lockdown. So as we re, as we reference as we go through this Tony to Shane and I has been an incredibly helpful fellow for many reasons but in recent months he is our go-to when it comes to platforms like Zoom and how to engage people via that medium. So a, a man well set to share thoughts via a podcast today. So without further ado over to Tony Lamb. Let's hear from him.
1: It's my great pleasure this episode to introduce uh, Tony Lamb. Tony Lamb, founder of Lamb Direct Consulting. Um, but Tony and I were trying to work out quite how long we've known each other. Um, but like some of our other guests, Tony has also had um, a long and distinguished career in enterprise companies before becoming an entrepreneur so tony welcome
2: thank you very much shane lovely to be here
1: it's really nice to have you and so tell us how you got started because i think it's really interesting there's some brands that lots of people are going to be very familiar with
2: yeah well as you said when we were we were trying to work out how long we've known each other so I, I started my career in advertising sales in business to business publishing so i'd um I'd done a biochemistry degree and I knew I didn't want to work in a lab because that seemed very much like working in a factory to me. I was having to do the same thing time and time again. And I quite liked the business aspect of things. So I ended up in advertising, as many people do. Um, and then I went on precision marketing, which I think is probably where we met. So that used to be the weekly Bible for direct marketing, the heartbeat, the thing that everyone read every week. So I think probably about 25 years ago, that's where we first met.
1: I think you're right, yes, good old weekly trade mag. Oh, yes, the way it
2: used to be, yeah. And then I, uh, that was with Centaur, as you mentioned beforehand, and they publish titles like Marketing Week, so they're one of the big business-to-business publishers. Uh, so I sort of got a bit of an eye, um, eye to what data was about, selling uh, advertising on the magazine, and then got the chance to run the direct marketing division. And that's really where it all started to come together. because I kind of, well, I started off um, my sort of formal um, further education in biochemistry. You know, I was, I was a scientist, I like science, I like the scientific approach to things. So data and science are you know, very similar and that what well, they're one and the same. Data drive scientific analysis. So, um, I, yeah, I feel very comfortable in the data world.
0: And, and Tony, how I it seems remiss to ask, but do you miss the chemistry world? Did you make the right decision?
2: Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, the, the, the whole process of uh, you know, creating new things, I found fascinating. I really love that. And the reality is my attention to detail is absolutely horrendous. So uh, I have to force myself to do things. You know, I've I've come to realize over time, reading legal documents and checking through spreadsheets when they really matter is an important thing to do. But, you know, using a micropipette and loading up a very small volume of liquid when the pipette wasn't properly working and then having to do that 200 times to scientifically and statistically prove what you were claiming was robust, you know, didn't really inspire me so yes i'm very glad i made the move
1: that's fascinating because i think that's really interesting that attention to detail very important in the data world obviously but it's not possibly quite the same in terms of that repetition or we're now in this fortunate world where of course you know machine learning and ai can do it for us but it's interesting to me because i think some people early on in their careers assume that if you don't like doing something that means you're not necessarily good at it, but I know you're good at detail. And as you said, you know, you, you've had to force yourself. So I think that, that's an interesting learning in itself. I'm not a completed
2: finisher. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have to force myself to be a completed finisher. And I've got the scars um, to show why I've learned how to do it and why I, why I need to do it as well. So, yeah, you, you need to do it at times properly.
0: And, and Tony, from your experience, from what you've just said, I mean, it, it sounds like, dare I say, a classic marketing problem is that we're not very good at the detail. And, and more and more, as Shane said, maybe it's the technology. We're in this kind of hinterland of we're moving towards the technology to be able to make a lot of the decisions for us, but we're not quite there yet. Is that your experience? That so, Yeah, actually, most marketers we've met, You've, you've worked with or for, have got that same challenge of the reason marketing, it's not scientific enough, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. Is there room for marketing to be too more scientific or, or does it lose that, that other end of the spectrum, that kind of art, if you will, the art and science blend of, of good marketing? Well, I think with digital,
2: you know, marketing is now scientific. It's marketing has changed so much because previously it was driven by TV. Now, the ad agencies use TV as the primary channel, that's where the money went, that's where they made their money, and obviously now this is all changed, and the great thing with digital is you've got a mass of data that comes off the back of it, so you get real insight, and it's not sort of, you know, like a finger in the air of, I think we should do this because the creative director says it's a good idea. There's real insight now behind the activity, so, you know, all all good marketing is now data driven you don't just do stuff because it sounds like a good idea
1: you had a fantastic opportunity didn't you Tony when you moved um and were at raw mail in terms of heading up the data strategy and I think uh I mean I was great admirer of some of the work you did there but but what are you most proud of in terms of you talking about that using data in a very scientific way and in a, in a strategic way what are you most proud of achieving when you were there
2: I think Royal Mail was, you know, very interesting. And it, the, the exciting thing for me about joining Royal Mail was the potential it had because it was a, and it's still in very many ways, a very traditional company. So when Amazon effectively came into the market, the C-suite didn't really have metric at their fingertips to sort of show how volumes were changing. You know, they were noticing that postmen were standing around. There are anecdotal comments like that, Obviously it wasn't quite as bad as that, but there was no real data. So we took the business on a whole journey, really to show how data could provide a lot more insight. Um, But I think the thing to your question that I was most proud about there is that we got data. So we we were the data services division. We're a tiny, tiny part from a revenue perspective of the organization. You know, we were were the loose change down the back of the sofa. (laughs) Um, But what we did is we showed that with Royal Mail's data, there was a huge growth opportunity there and the business were looking at diversification opportunities, new areas to um, grow into, because the the delivery, the parcel business was always going to, you know, plateau at a certain level, wasn't going to give the future growth they were looking for. So we showed that data was a really interesting area for them to invest in. And they had some you know, amazing data assets there as well. So I think the the proudest thing for me was really getting data up there on the C-suite and actually becoming one of the sort of the three strategic growth initiatives for Royal Mail.
0: And, and Tony, really, sorry, sorry, Shane, go on, you please go. <laughs>
1: it's just because it's data and I get all excited. I and know, you do, I know. You know me. So I think, I think that's really interesting that you talk about using data strategically and realigning the business around it, um, but it also sounds as though you were opportunistic and created some products. Do you, do you think you have to do the first, Tony, in terms of embedding that cultural approach to to data before you can do the second?
2: Um, I think my <clears throat> well, my experience is and this is basically the reality out there and it, and it actually if you if you look at sort of wider selling as well um it's totally true in that if if you're trying to sell something to someone you've got to talk in the language they understand so when we would talk the, the thing that amazed me is when we were talking to the c-suite so we'd be talking to the group fd at raw mail about data and he uses data on a daily basis a monthly basis to look at the um, performance of the business you know check the health of the business. See, is it growing or is it not? So data is integral to everything he does. But when you talk about how we would use data, you know, they almost look at you with the blank eyes. It just, they just don't get it. They don't understand it. So I think data people will very often talk a different language. So it's very much about sort of talking the language of the business. And, you know, we could have done whatever the thing they were interested in is, we had high profit margin revenues coming in. And that was all they remembered. We were doing some data stuff to deliver revenues, profitable revenues. And it- the, sort of the detail behind that, they didn't really know or understand. So we did gradually, we educated them on, you know, what it means, the techniques, and the fact that actually data is now driving business. and. When we were talking to them as well, it was when organisations were really, really starting to embrace data. Tesco's have been out there and proved it. So CEOs, you know, knew there was something in this data thing, so they were keen to understand more. But it was very much around the fact that we had highly profitable revenues coming through. That was the thing that got them interested.
0: That's almost a mini case study of if you want to get the, the CFO on board, talk their language first, then win the right to educate them in your world. Uh, which is an easy miss, I think. And Tony, maybe it leads us on actually to, because that's where you've come from. It'd be fascinating to talk more about today and, and particularly, you know, how's it been in 2020? And, and with, I know you've got a number of hats, but you're still heavily involved in, in data strategy. And I'd be really interested in, is that still a challenge, do you think? Do uh, My view, my feeling is that organisations, although digital, as you said, has become much more measurable, which links so well into data, there's still this challenge around making organizations care about data or become data literate enough um is that the case or is it no actually they've all got it now steve they nailed it they get it data's at the center of what they all do
2: so i think they've got data is something that the company should be using they've got that sort of high level statement how it's used and why it's used and where it's used they're still not there on And, you know, we've been doing some research and I've also been reading up quite a lot about this recently. So McKinsey had um, done a recent piece of analysis and found only about 30% of businesses had aligned their data strategy with their business strategy. Um, Research we've done amongst uh, actual data practitioners, their number one issue is really getting their data strategy aligned to the business strategy. So there's this whole misalignment piece, um, which is very interesting because you know if you go back to the sort of the um, the previous sort of simple sales logic, if you want to sell something to someone, you've got to understand what they're interested in. So if you want to make data relevant to the business, you've got to show how it can change the performance of the business. You know how can data reduce churn? How does data allow you to do that?
0: You've got to it, talk very much in the language of the it's business. It's what it enables, it, what, it's what it does, it's the output of it rather than Absolutely. the input of it. And, and it, maybe um, that leads us on, Tony, to today. I mean, that's, I guess, on the data strategy side, where you're spending time. Well, what's what, what, what have you been up to, Tony? Let's put it another way. How has 2020 been? Where have you been spending your time? Is it all in this area or are there other things?
2: So, I mean, you know, it's a no shit Sherlock moment. 2020 has <laughs> been tough for everybody, <laughs> you know. Uh, so I'd, uh, I'd left Royal Mail about a year and a half ago and started um, actively running the data strategy consultancy again. So I'd originally formed that about 20 years ago, but then I'd, I'd worked for Royal Mail as a permanent employee for the over 10 years. So I'd stepped away from it. So it takes a certain amount of time to sort of build things up again. So I was in the process of doing that, starting to get some traction, things were starting to happen. Uh, we just got through Brexit. We thought there was a bit of clarity Bit of certainty now about what was going to happen and then two months later you know COVID happened which threw the world you know into absolute chaos so um so on my side on the data side I'd actually um uh, got a project actually just before everything started to happen so I had I had um, something to work on uh, on that side but our, the other side of our business is a training business so that's been running for about 10 years and we've been dealing with a lot of the bigger publishers out there so training them in sales presentation and negotiation skills so overnight that business had to change or stop because it involved us going to see people and training them face to face which obviously you couldn't do so
1: so the- on that tony because i know i mean if i've learned a lot from you and and on the innovation oh, too should, as well yes. yeah <laughs> we bow to your expertise in in and i hate the word but you know pivoting to that that virtual training very early and the lessons you learn um and i i think i mean how long did it take you to change that face-to-face training business to one that you could actually offer your first digital o- online only course how many how, how long
2: about 14 days
1: that's really impressive, yeah, hugely and impressive. And it's not just, a, you know, it's not a
2: unique story for us. It, you, we're hearing it now more and more and more with CEOs saying like, oh, I'm amazed. I didn't realise we could do that. And it hasn't destroyed the business. We've suddenly done things. And this whole, um, I think it's great for agile businesses, because it's what businesses should have been anyway. Um, I mean, the amount of treacle we had to go through, and it was, it was known universally within Royal Mail as treacle, the bureaucracy. It was just a word that was used because it was present absolutely everywhere. But it just holds businesses back. And in this digital age, it's just it's almost the death sentence for an organization. So you've got to be agile and you've got to be nimble. But so often businesses are they're scared of empowering the employees to, to do what they need to do. And they're often the ones with the knowledge. So I think it's been very, very interesting, the fact that so many businesses have just said, fine, get on with it. We've got to do something, go and try it. And in lots of cases, it's worked as well. So it's, it's, been a, it's been a very interesting period. And I do think there are, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, very tough times people have had, but there's a number of positive stories that come out of it, out of this period we've been through. And this sort of, this pace of innovation and really understanding the principles be, behind agile delivery will be one of the key things that comes out of it.
0: And and do you think, you know, I think some of that or all of that's changed for good now, Tony, it's been long enough that, you know, there was that initial, oh, my goodness, we need to and to use that word, Shane, pivot into right effectively what we would have done in person. We now need to do virtually as a sticking plaster. Have we got to a point that will we ever go back to in person? Do you see that coming or will you just now about keep pushing on with how to make the virtual experience better and better and better rather than it being just a, a perhaps initially a... a a plan B?
2: Um I think it becomes a blend. So I mean virtual's great. You don't have to travel places. You can, you know, just having these conversations, if if we'd met up in a room somewhere, you know, that would have taken half a day as opposed right. to an hour. You know, the 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 time efficiency, the fact that you can talk to people anywhere in the world easily, and it just becomes sort of second nature, I think is It's a really positive thing, but it doesn't uh, have the same uh, personal interaction, the relationship building, all the soft things around business that you need. That you know, building a business culture is very hard to do in a a purely remote environment. I was uh, was talking to a salesperson the other day um, about some data integration technology day um, it was actually quite a fun conversation but she just fairly recently started in the business and she'd been working quite a while but she'd never met any of her colleagues so that becomes really hard for someone coming into a business and actually you know understanding what the culture is like so I think it, it'll be a hybrid in the future but what organizations will do is they'll use that face-to-face interaction a lot more strategically and create a lot more value out of it and also i think individuals if they've got a choice most people want to work at home two or three days a week because they get so much more done and they don't have all the faff of having to commute as well coming in so i think there will be a fundamental change but it'll be a blend Mm. and that's that's really the best of both worlds
1: I think it's interesting. You, you touched on the sales side, and and you you know you, you put that under soft skills. And you and I both started our careers in sales. And I think it's very interesting to me because um, actually creating the same sort of relationships virtually is is definitely different. And I'm interested because obviously, you know, you've come out of enterprise, you've gone back into the entrepreneur, and just how you're selling at the moment because it's challenging
2: it is and it's that i mean a lot of selling has been about relationships so you know without without building up those um, relationships it becomes a lot harder and it's, it's really where having a network becomes so valuable So if you can do things via a network and then get referred on by people who know you, um, you know, that's really one of the key ways, I think, that organisations will be winning business going forwards.
1: So I think Steve and I have seen, you know, lots of people jump onto LinkedIn and doing a lot more there. But I I sense that it's not just the sort of social selling um, approach, but perhaps you're talking about a slightly how shall I say, more per, even more personal approach to your networking. Are there any tips for anybody who, like you, know, come out of enterprise, because I think lots of people will be doing it in the next year and wants to get going that you found has worked?
2: Well, the, um, I have to say it's, it's more my wife's experience, but i would experienced it before with the, the DMA as well, but joining organisations or bodies So my wife's involved in a women's organization called Bloom, um, which has an awful lot of, you know, incredibly gifted people as their members. And just having access to all those individuals, all sort of going in the same direction with the same passion has been amazing. And the the number of people that, I mean, myself included, I've been allowed into the women's network at times. Um, The people we've met and their knowledge and their thinking has just been brilliant and invaluable. So I think, you know, creating a network, proactively going out and creating a network is so important. And it's more than, you know, just being on LinkedIn. It's about sort of, you know, joining bodies, getting involved in things, you know, creating stuff, making stuff happen. But without that, if you just isolate it, it becomes, you know, pretty hard. Pretty hard to sell
0: and and tony i wonder if it also arrives us back to, to with your data hat on is that not uh, i guess a number of people i know and to shane's point that we people that are either choosing to or perhaps uh, found themselves forced into a position to, to go out on their own that won't have the black book that you've got um obviously it's, it's difficult times but does data then actually help any organization say well if you want to understand if you're going to sell to somebody you can't meet them in person for, for various practical reasons is this where data can then help us again say look if you want to round the picture understand these people or organization better before you go in the door this is a new way of looking at data the insight that it gives you that you, even the starting point of a conversation if you're going to put a linkedin connection request into people this is the value of of using data in a, in a lateral way
2: yeah, I mean, I'd say it's probably a higher level than just data. Um, it's, it's about that whole consultative selling piece. If you can give someone some value, they're a lot more likely to listen to you. Now that maybe data, maybe insights, maybe you know, other people, other things, information sources. Um, it's about sort of going out there and trying to add value. Um, and that's obviously you know, one of the, the bases of uh, social selling you're trying to create some value to create some interest to mean that you're the person actually that people go to because you're seen as being knowledgeable and you as that knowledgeable person may well help me more than someone else to do my job
1: it's the power of being helpful again isn't it i think um, you know and and you certainly i know you've demonstrated that to to me in a time of need where i've gone help tony i've got to do a virtual workshop and i want to (laughs) i want a new way of doing it
2: I'm heavily indebted to you, Shane, so Lots of credits to
0: use. Oh, you guys! It's a love fest. <laughs> You're in my phone as Tony Zoom, if it's any help, rather than Tony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's let's go look at look at further ahead, I suppose, Tony. In terms of you know, twenty twenty. What about the year ahead? How's that looking? What what? Where's the focus? What, what's your your th- thermometer say for us on that one?
2: Um, well, I think uh, I mean generally it's going to be a very tough six months stroke 12 months i think in the whole uh, the country the economy everything you know the furlough scheme has been psychologically brilliant for people because that whole shock of you know coronavirus has now landed the world suddenly changed you haven't had to say and i've lost my job you know, people have had those sort of few months to get their heads around the fact that the world's changed, but they've still had money money coming in. So that sort of, that piece of chaos hasn't happened. Uh, and also we've, we've had, uh, you know, fantastic weather this year as well. So it's, it's it's meant there's been some very enjoyable moments this year. But I think going into the next six months, people are starting to get weary now. Employment levels are going to be going up. Um businesses are going to be going under so I think life's going to get tougher and tougher and then we've also got the um the, the reoccurrence of Brexit you know what impacts that going to have on top of it everything else so I think I think the business world is going to find it tough for the next 12 months at least and I mean we're already seeing I'm already seeing this now directly just the fact that You know, September time, everyone was hoping that, um, you know, we'd have have got over the first wave, things are looking up now, we're going to see uh, new growth, you know, restrictions starting to be removed. And now we've had to go back into this very restrictive environment. So once again, companies are just cutting back. They're not looking to expand. So I think, you know, things are going to be tough for the next 12 months. Uh, Number one thing is business survival. I would say um, you do want to grow. I think innovation will be very, very interesting to see what happens over the next twelve months. In that you've got to find new ways of doing things. So I think I think that will be interesting. And you know, for us, we're looking to do new things. We're looking at new opportunities. Um, things are starting to happen on our side. I'm very pleased to say, but you know, it's it's not going to be simple or straightforward.
1: No, I think that being opportunistic is going to be very important for us all because it's not going to be an even landscape of everybody's going to do well or everybody's not going to, you know, is going to be struggling. And I think that that, as you said, there are definitely opportunities there and it's finding the organisations that are open to innovation. And do you see any particular sectors that you think are more receptive or are growing? I mean, I've seen, you know, obviously particularly tech, we've all seen that, but are there any others outside that?
2: Um, I think, yeah, the technology government areas, um, they're all spending, um, the healthcare sector has generally done quite well recently. So there's, you know, there are certain markets that are, that are doing well and are buoyant, but also there's new needs coming out in the market. Um, and it's one of the great things about this experience is it's, it's been very much a sort of. Creating a level playing field for many businesses. So, you know, whether you're an SME or whether you're a large organization, people have a need now, and it's people who are getting there first can satisfy that need. And it doesn't really matter if you're just, you know, a 10 person company versus a 3,000 person company. If you've got a solution that meets the demand, um, you may well win the business. So, we've we found it um, very interesting. So, obviously, out of necessity, Um, we were doing our training so we had to move to virtually training people and then as part of that um, we created virtual presenting courses and because everyone was having to suddenly communicate via zoom and do business that was the immediate need within the first two weeks is how do I use this technology what should I be doing what do I need to think about because you know people aren't engaged people are switching off the cameras not listening to me I'm not getting anywhere so that was an, an immediate need then. Um, the, the thing we're now seeing is that organisations are managing either remote teams or hybrid teams. And they've gone through that sort of, you know, managing chaos process. They now want to build sort of formal training and knowledge around that. So we see that very much as a, uh, a new demand coming into the market. And, and the interesting thing is, um, you know, my, Me personally, my experience in Royal Mail and also, you know, many other national organisations, it was always the same there anyway. We always had remote teams, um, people working at home, people working across multiple sites. So the challenges that a lot of businesses are now seeing about how do they manage and motivate remote workforces was just BAU for us. It's how you run the business. So it's it, it's interesting. So I do think there's there's new opportunities that are appearing all the time, and as Shane rightly says, it's you know can you seize those?
1: So on on that, I think that you know hybrid teams and there's some chat about hybrid teams, um, and what they actually mean. I presume you're talking about. In office and remote or yes. is yeah so that's the sort of yes, that's interesting right. challenge um and that... it's
2: different as well to fully remote because in fully remote everyone's in the same circumstance the same situation whereas with hybrid you've got people who are closer to the the power than other people so there's you know that there are different considerations with the two of them
0: and, and Tony, just, I mean, just harping back to something you said around, um, you know, you've achieved a lot. Uh, and you've, not only just this year with the, that launching a business. Um, God, I'm going to say it again, pivoting a business in terms of the training. Sorry, everyone. That's uh, 72 times pivots come out on this podcast series so far. Um, but, you know, over the career so far, there's a lot you've achieved. And, you know, that Royal Mail story of turning it from the, the change at the back of the sofa to a, very, in my opinion, anyway, a very data centred organization i would always think Royal Mail if i was thinking data um now what gets you out of bed now what is the passion or what keeps you in bed what's the the frustration when it comes to all that you've seen thus far and and where we are today what drives you to keep going or what 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 stops you and makes you think you know what nothing's changed if and if if nothing has indeed changed
2: i think the i mean at, at a high level the well the thing i love doing is creating new things so you know i launch
0: things i um back to that back to that innovation streak that you talked about earlier absolutely and the i mean the the exciting thing now is you've
2: you've got a blank sheet of paper almost there are opportunities anywhere and the ability you know it's quite astounding what you can achieve um so just a little story on that so my um When the whole of um, the first lockdown happened and the stay at home message was um, going around, you know, in the first couple of weeks, people really weren't listening. And my wife was watching it on the news and she got, you know, really frustrated. The fact that the advertising industry wasn't stepping up and using their communication skills Mm -hmm. and creativity to get the message across to people. So she stayed up half the night, wrote a blog about it. And then we started chatting about it. And she spoke to a journalist as well, who said, well, she'll publish the blog. And then we started to think, okay, well, how can we make something like this really happen? So then we started digging into the network. And a month later, she had initiated a poster campaign that was in about 20 companies, uh, countries, sorry, globally. So that was just one person watching the news, basically in their kitchen, feeling very strongly about something with no real infrastructure behind her, just, you know, quite a few contacts of people who knew people. And then suddenly she's capitalized this international activity.
1: That's absolutely fantastic. And I think that sort of personal story of doing something you're passionate about making a difference. And I think, you know, the creativity that is starting to come through now. One of my favorites that I saw, um, which has just started to do the rounds of really good um, comms about distancing during COVID is been the um, campaign that's uh, originated in Sweden, which is basically a tote bag, which says, on, printed on it um, in it's very black on yellow and says normally I'd love to sit next to you but this seat is keeping me safe and you put your oh, bag wow. on the chair it's fabulous um, real creativity and uh, it was quite funny seeing some of the comments it's sort of like well in Britain we've always just dumped our bags on the chair anyway yeah um, <laughs> but carrying a strong public message i think that's a that's a lovely way of sort of showing that if you've got that you know that passion and, and you want to do something so you've talked about you know the importance of building a network and how that brought that to a much wider audience what's your sort of final area of what you've learned in terms of single piece of advice for anybody listening i think i mean i'll, I'll say it now
2: and I've, I've been saying it for years but effectively the more you do the more you get it's quite simple go out there Create opportunities, create your own luck. Don't expect luck to come to you. So that would be my sort of key piece of advice for people.
0: And I guess that means, we, we, we talked about this on a previous episode actually, around how, and certainly you'll know this, Tony, that when you move from a big organisation like Royal Mail and go and start something on your else, the phone's in a, in a different way. The phone calls don't come in, the invites don't come in. You've got to remember that, yes, you might have been a very in, an important person in a very important organization, you're still an important person, but you may not be as attractive to people when you're on that other side and you've got to work even harder rather than assume that, okay, I used to get invites to everything and now I'm not. Taking it yeah. personally isn't the way it's, as you say, you've got to put in the hard yards and, and, and have the thick skin to build up that, that net of people that will ultimately pay back at some point. Absolutely. It's almost the karma of it, I suppose.
2: We've got to get those doors opened. As you say previously, the doors would naturally open if you had a big brand behind you. So, you know, they don't now. So you've got to find different ways of doing things. So I think that 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 is the, you know, the the really exciting thing. It's just that the opportunity that's now out there when effectively all the cards are just being thrown up into this into the sky and they they're landing. The deck of cards is landing in a very different way now. And there's opportunities that come out of that. So in this this period of history, in the same way that, uh, you know, in the Second World War, the amount of innovation that came out, that will come out of this period of history will, you know, not be dissimilar to what happened, I think, in the Second World War.
1: That point that Tony makes about it being a seismic shift in innovation is, I think, completely spot on. And we're seeing it literally every day. I mean, my, my example is... Well, just realising that Morrisons who weren't able to deliver because they didn't have a, an online delivery service solved the problem by partnering with Amazon um, and even better same-day delivery using Amazon because rather than bringing in, trying to bring in the whole infrastructure themselves, well, why not? Let's just go and do it somebody somebody's doing it already. What do you think, Steve, in terms of companies that are really innovating at pace
0: well, it's interesting, Shane, just that example um, it, for me, actually, not only of Morrison's, you know, that's not just catch up, that's takeover as well, because they've suddenly plugged into Amazon's distribution and delivery ecosystem. Um, but that thought with a, with a B2B angle is that uh, a client of ours actually in, in retail uh, technology uh, has, and these aren't new to people, you'll have seen with brands like Amazon, these click and collect lockers that pop up at places Typically for you to return parcels, but that whole much wider arc of retail. So think smaller SMB uh, restaurants, grocery stores, etc. particularly restaurants that don't want to be using the traditional take 25% of your business, um, a la some of these uh, well-known brands in that space. Click and collect lockers. So Steve can uh, order online his fish and chips from an e-commerce store that that fish and chip shop has had built very quickly. And they have temperature control. Um, either for chilled or for hot items, lockers. So I get a delivery code via SMS or email that says, your order's ready, you can go and collect it. You, You think about that and how quickly that's come about, Shane. I'm going to talk about necessity being the mother of all invention. Well, it's also opportunity as well from an e-commerce point of view but from a point of view a practicality that if you are sick or you're perhaps in a you know you're, you're having to self-isolate you could still get into a car you could still go and collect something and you're the only one that uses that locker so yeah i think tony's right that when we have tough times and you reference world war ii but we saw this more recently on the back of 2008 in the financial crisis if we innovate if we continue to learn and think, there's a real opportunity to, to push the envelope to improve things, not to just to get back to where we were.
1: I think so. And I think we're going to be sort of making these cross-industry learnings um, more and more. You know, we'll see something in our consumer life and think, oh, I wonder whether I can apply that to business. And I think the other thing that's very interesting is this whole move to engage more directly through the whole value chain and for some brands who perhaps in the past haven't talked to the end consumer um, and starting to do that and I see that in terms of the marketing world changing a lot as well that needs to explain what they're doing either to keep people safe or um, to actually tell their story and find solutions to to help people in their everyday lives really
0: yeah there's that word help again it and I, I'm a big advocate of that as you know Shane firstly benchmarking is not theft the idea that you can always learn from others particularly different industries or much larger organizations that you may be near or far from that have got more time and money perhaps to think these things through you you can take the essence of that idea and re-engineer it yourself and equally the fact that you can just uh, use service and communication to be helpful I strongly believe that that opens up the ability to market and to sell to those people down the line. I've advocated this for a long time, that we shouldn't talk about things like email marketing as much as we should talk about email servicing. If you can send helpful, um, appropriate messaging through these channels, I think it opens people up to be more willing to receive those sales and marketing messages further down the line.
1: I agree. And I think actually that was really the sort of the summary of Tony's big, takeaway was you know be helpful be helpful to others um and it will help you so there we are that was our theme of this week
0: indeed it was yeah absolutely be helpful even on the level of tony howe to shane and i use zoom to do a webinar as we both would attest to so thank you to Tony Lamb. Thank you to Shane, as ever. Thank you to me, because no one ever thanks me, but thanks me. You're welcome. No oh, thank
1: you, Steve.
0: Oh, what, what, a, what a plug for a thanks. And um, But most importantly, thanks for listening in. As ever, find us on WWL Podcast UK, or indeed the likes of Spotify, um, Apple Music, Google, uh, and all the other places and some bad ones that you might find Podcast We'll be there. We'd be really happy to hear from you on this episode future episodes, or if you just want to do some catch up, there's many other episodes from what we've learned that you can download now. Thanks, everyone.